So, the other day, I was going through some earlier episodes and I reminded myself I haven't added any new laws to relationships, dating, and other things we blindly do. So, law number two. Gentlemen, open the door for the women people. Now, I know there's been a feminist movement over the last decade to stop this. They say it takes away a woman's independence. Okay. I'm not saying men should carry a watermelon in their belly for nine months, or deal with menstrual cramps, or make less money. I'm just saying, let the guys get the door. I think that makes us even, right? This is Solving Problems and Starting New Ones, a show that tries to be an incubator of great ideas and a place to challenge popular wisdom. Today, we're going to do a quick fix on the topic of life after prison, and I give a review of the Joker movie. And you'll get all this from a guy on the street perspective. All right, we're coming at you a little quicker and a little, little bit of a shorter episode than usual, as I have uh, quite a bit of work to do for our next episode, which will be a live episode. Tickets are already sold out, so if you waited, you missed the boat, people. But uh, even though this episode is coming at you quick, doesn't mean I phoned it in. And speaking of which, today's episode will be our first for us. We will be taking calls. So give us a call, and I'll solve the hell out of any problems you bring me. You know this is a pre-recorded show. I don't care if it's pre-recorded. We're taking calls today, damn it. This is Solving Problems and Starting New Ones. You're on the line. Hey, how you doing? In episode two, you said to replace my airbag with a bag of freaking nails. Well, now I'm blind. Can you fix that, tough guy? All right, I'm sorry. Okay, next call. This is Solving Problems and Starting New Ones. You're on the line. Hi, I lost my car keys. Can you help me? I'm afraid not. Okay, then. Well, I'm also blind from a bag of nails. Okay, I'm hanging up now. Jesus, I didn't even give out my number. All right, all right. Let's bring back a segment called The Quick Fix, where we take a problem and fix it quick. Right now, we're focusing on life after prison. And one of the problems facing newly released prisoners is finding a job. If a hiring manager or owner has a choice between hiring a person fresh out of prison or a person who hasn't been there, who do you think is going to get that job? It's understandable. There's a trust issue. Though, to be honest, I've hired a few people with prison records, and I'd say three out of four times I didn't regret it. But I don't think other people in hiring positions are as risk-taking or as awesome as I am. I had a chance to speak to someone whose job is essentially helping people who have paid their debt to society find work. This typically results in her begging and pleading on their behalf. Think for a moment. You finally get out of prison. You want to do right. You don't want to go back. But then you apply for a job, and then another, and another, and no luck. It can depress the hell out of you. It can make you desperate. It can lead you to a bad decision and right back into getting locked up. So what's the, what's the fix? Well, it's a little controversial, but why not allow ex-convicts to waive minimum wage rights for, say, three to six months? This wouldn't be mandatory, just something that might give them a chance if they're having trouble landing a job. And just think, you might get more managers and owners to take a chance. It wouldn't cost them much to do so. And after a while of working together and building trust, then they would receive minimum wage or hopefully more. But the key here is opportunity, a chance to do good. And that's a quick fix. Feel free to beat me up over it on the Facebook and the YouTube and the Podbean. And uh, send some hate mail at nick 
at solvingproblemsandstartingnewones.com. Okay, then, we're going to do another first. We're going to do a movie review. Today, we're talking about the Joker movie that came out in theaters about a month ago. And I believe this segment is going to open a new world of problems to be explored. Now, this movie, before it was even released, it was hit hard with accusations that this movie would increase violence around the country. Turned out not to be true. But what I found interesting is the same people who thought this movie would lead to more violence are the same people who blame this president for the uptick in violence in this country. And that guy blames media and video games for the violence. Even though studies would suggest or show that video games actually lessen violence as it acts as a conduit for violent impulses, lessening the chances of someone trying to display it out on society. But we're at a, we're at a crossroads. Either all are to blame or none, right? Something or someone has to be at fault. An influencer. Who is to blame for someone with an eggshell for a skull committing random acts of violence? A leading researcher in mass shootings pointed out something that I found really interesting. And just to give the definition of mass shootings, it is defined as four or more people being shot, not including the shooter. What I found interesting is late 2001 to 2004, there were no public mass shootings. There were private mass shootings, that includes gang warfare or say, you know, in-family shootings, but no random shootings in large numbers. So this raises a question for me. Why did it stop for a few years? Prior to these years and after, up until today, it's pretty much been the average as far as incidents go. Some years worse than uh, others. So what happened? Well, it all seems to stop in September of 2001. And I'm going to take a huge leap of faith and assume the exact date was the 11th. Now, to me, this piece of information is pretty mind-blowing and raises more questions. Why did it stop? Did certain people just forget to be violent? Was it a distraction for people? Or was it at a time when everyone felt like we were together? That maybe we were part of something as a team, looking in the face of tragedy, and in spite of that, felt safer together. In that brief era, everyone was flying the team flag. Well, except for like Cambridge, Mass, and the Berkeley area. You know, those kinds of people from that area where they say things like, I'm not an American, I'm a citizen of the world. Well, I got news for you. The world hates you. Welcome back to America. Anywho, so after 9-11, there were no public mass shootings. So I have to say influence clearly plays a role, which brings us back around to our previous question of who's at fault. A lot of people would say it's the lack of mental institutions. That's very true. There is a lack. And if you were to combine everyone that was institutionalized and in prison in the 1960s and compared that to today's people locked up and in mental care, you would end up with roughly the same percentage of the population. The only difference is there were tremendously less people in prison and more people in mental hospitals in the 60s. That's not to say mental facilities were a great place for disabled people. But then again, putting mentally ill people in prison today isn't exactly much better. So the question is, should this country spend money on mental health facilities? Well, it depends. Do you want to do that because you want to stop gun violence? Or do you want to do it because you want to actually help and care for the mentally ill? There's only one right answer. Because I don't think someone with a severe case of schizophrenia who's talking to himself at the bus station 
is the leading cause of gun violence. The majority of public shootings, if not all, are planned and with intentions. I don't think the guy at the bus station has any plans. But can you be mentally ill and not even know it? I've read that one out of 100 people are psychopaths. Now, there's a couple of things to go over. One, there's a range of psychopathy. Some people show more traits than others. And two, the lead traits of a psychopath is the inability to feel shame or guilt. Now, in a good family, someone with these traits or these character flaws could grow up and live harmlessly in society. On the other hand, put someone like that in a bad living environment or through enough tragedies, that may lead them to some problems and maybe some bad plans. And when the righteous mind kicks in, this could lead to disaster. And what I mean by the righteous mind is, for example, whether it's movies, books, comic books, the best villain is the one who doesn't think he's doing anything wrong. The one that doesn't know he's the bad guy in the story. Now, that's fine when it's fiction, but when an actual person doesn't know what guilt or shame feels like, what do you do? What do you do if someone feels justified in committing acts of terror if they feel that they're doing it for the right reasons? Can bad influence lead these people down a dark path? If so, who's at fault? Is it the media? Is it the president? Video games? Dark movies? Is it all or none? It has to be, right? Now, what the hell was I originally talking about? Oh, right. The Joker movie. I thought it was pretty good. A little, uh, little overhyped. The next movie we're going to review is The Lion King, where I'll end up going on a rant about vegans. All right, that's all for today. We'll be back with episode 10, our season finale. It's going to be nuts, people. And be sure to support the show by grabbing your shirt at problemsolvingshirt.com. Side hustles galore, people. Find us on Facebook, leave a review on iTunes, subscribe to the YouTube. Do something with yourself, all right, people? This was Solving Problems. And starting to work. Peace.